re-gifting. Though we don't tend to talk about it, it's something that most of us have done. Because let's face it, not everyone knows you well enough to know that you don't need another Elvis coffee mug or necktie or another wallet or another package of rose-scented soaps, right? So this Christmas, 38% of all gifts that are going to be given are actually going to be returned or exchanged. Did you realize that? And the ones that aren't, because many of the ones that aren't because they don't have a gift receipt attached, say it will end up being re-gifted to someone else perhaps next Christmas or for someone's birthday a few months down the road. Some of us, we've even re-gifted gift cards, haven't we? How many of you ever re-gifted a gift card? Because for some reason, you, maybe you're one of those odd people who don't enjoy a Starbucks gift card. I don't understand you. I don't, I don't get that. But I hear you exist. Some of you exist and you don't like those sorts of things. You know, I actually have heard recently that young adults of all people, they're the most likely to re-gift gifts this coming Christmas. Now, what we've found through this series over the last few weeks is that while God's gifts aren't easy to wrap or to put under a Christmas tree, they are certainly the best gifts to re-gift to others. Gifts like forgiveness and, as we're going to talk about tonight, the gift of hope. You know, these days more than ever, I think you would agree with me, Our world needs hope, doesn't it? I mean, how long do you have to watch the news on the television to figure that out? Yeah, I was actually writing a message. I was actually writing this message for tonight. I was sitting down, I was getting some notes done when I noticed a a ping on my cell phone. And I don't know about you, but I have these alerts that kind of show up on my phone from CNN or Fox News at different times when something big happens. And this this shows up on my on my phone. It's, it talked about how it was a CNN special report warning that we're on the brink of the sixth great extinction on planet Earth where three-fourths of all life forms are predicted to go extinct. And I'm sitting there looking at this message of hope and I'm thinking, well, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you too, CNN. Right? A few minutes later, I'm back working and Fox News, another one pings up and it says hundreds of thousands of innocent civilians are now dead in the nation of Syria. Man. Now, we want to think things are a bit different in America, but many of us just don't feel that way. I mean, I actually heard recently that um, the suicide rates in our country are the highest they've ever been in 30 years. And when I read through the story to try to see why they deter- how they determine why that's the case, it spells it out right there. It says more and more people are losing hope. You know, it's been said that humans can live for weeks without food. They can live for days without water. And they can live minutes without air. But they can only live seconds without hope. When someone loses all hope in life, they lose the will to live. And feelings of loss and failure or purposelessness or shame can lead us into a dark place. But the good news is that for every reason there is to lose hope because of, broken, of the broken world we live in, there are more reasons to have hope. As we're going to see tonight. They're there. They they always are. We simply have to find them. Focus on them. And then make sure we are passing them on. Or re-gifting them to others. Right? If the world is nothing more than a chance happening. With no God at the center. No God in control at all. Then yeah, there's a reason to not have hope. But tonight we gather. And I think most of you are here. Because wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you have this hope that there is a God out there behind all of this. A God behind what we know and experience. Many of you would even say that God loves you and has a plan for your life, as the Bible 
describes. So tonight, before we remind our, tonight we remind ourselves before we unwrap the presents and we enjoy the good food in the morning, why we celebrate this season in the first place. We remember that the message of Christmas is a message of hope. That Christ is bigger than every difficulty. That he can overcome every obstacle and uses us even today to re-gift that hope to others. You know, for centuries, God told his people that he would send a Messiah, a Savior, right, into this world to restore that broken relationship between God and man, that relationship broken by sin. And the night Jesus was born, an angel proclaimed hope to the world, saying, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. You know, there's another part to this story, a part that you may not know quite as well. Luke tells of it just before the story of Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 1. It's the story of this ordinary guy and his wife who had lost hope for a time, but they had later found it. And as a result, many people came to find lasting hope in Jesus. Turn, if you want, with me to Luke chapter 1, or you could just kind of sit back and relax and let me share this story with you. It's the story of a guy named Zechariah. He was a priest because his family or his tribe had descended from a guy by the name of Aaron who was the first priest of the nation of Israel. So all the men of this particular tribe, all the men who descended from Aaron, they basically had their career already picked out for them. They were stuck whether they liked it or not. If they were guys in the tribe of Aaron, they had to become a priest. So in every morning and every evening of every day, one of these many, many priests from the tribe of Aaron who had been randomly selected would present an offering in the main house of God in Jerusalem, which was a high honor, up to God. And because there were so many of these priests back in that day, by the time of, by, by the time of Jesus, there were tens of thousands of men who had descended from Aaron. Very few of these men actually would ever ha- be able to have this high honor, be able to, to go into this big temple and to offer this offering before God. But this day... This day, as we see in Luke chapter 1, it was Zachariah's turn. This once-in-a-lifetime opportunity had come for him. Maybe, maybe it was like you know, if you were a preacher and you were given the opportunity to give the opening prayer one morning before the U.S. Congress, right? Except that no one was there because it was just Zechariah as a priest alone in the temple before God while everyone else was outside praying for him. So imagine Zachariah in this moment. He's likely pretty excited. He's like, okay, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to go into the temple. This is my big day. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to take a selfie while I'm in there, right? You know, make sure I have a nice story to tell the grandkids. Except, no, wait, he couldn't do that. Yeah, there were no cell phones back then. But more importantly, there were no grandkids either. In fact, for Zach, there were no kids either. Because you see, he and his wife, they had been trying for years, for decades to have a kid, but nothing happened. They had prayed, they had done all that they could do, but there were no kids. And now, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, they were old and the hope that they had had, hope for a child, it, it was long gone. So imagine Zach there in the temple, all by himself, when, get this, 
from Luke chapter 1, it says this. It said, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him, but the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. So this angel shows up. Imagine, imagine being Zachariah in this moment. All these hopes that you had had for a child, for, for a son, long gone. And you're just in there doing your thing, you know, offering this, offering up to God when all of a sudden an angel pops up, shows up right in front of you and starts to tell you that you're going to have a child and you're going to name him John. And not only will this just, not only will you have a son, but this son will actually, it says in verses 16 and 17, the angel says, this son is going to prepare the way for the Messiah, the hope for the world. You're a kid. He's going to do that. I mean, now, do you think he believes this? What do you think? Verse 18, we see that Zachariah is pushing back on this angel a little bit. And he's like, hey, Gabriel, look at me. Do you see these wrinkles? Do you see these bags? Actually, what it says is Elizabeth and I, I like how he words it. We're well along in years. Did you recognize that, Gabriel? We can see here in this moment, as he's standing before the altar of God, that this man, Zachariah, he's lost hope. At least in this area of his life. And really, can you blame him? Wouldn't you have lost hope by this point? How easy would it have been for you to have held on to hope after all those years? Now, Gabriel gets frustrated with this mere mortal. And in verse 19, we see that Gabriel gets upset with this man, Zach. He says, you forget who I am. I stand in the presence of God every day. And so this angel, as he's sharing this, he basically does something to Zechariah where he's not able to speak anymore. He says, you won't speak again for another nine months until this baby, this, this, this uh, one who will proclaim the way for Jesus. When he's born, then I'll let you speak again. And but, oh, by the way, don't forget. When this baby is born and you get to speak again, you're to name him John. And then the angel's gone. Now, my guess is none of you have had quite an experience like that in your life. If so, please talk with me after we're done. I might use you as an illustration in the next service. With an angel showing up and all. But I bet you tonight that every one of us has been in a place like Zechariah. A place where you've totally lost hope in some area of your life. Maybe you're here tonight and you're in your 40s or 50s and you've just lost hope that your job will be anything greater, anything more than it is now. Maybe you're in a place tonight where you've lost hope that your body will ever be healed or that that loved one that you care about so much will will ever come back into your life again. Maybe... You've lost hope that your marriage will be any better or any stronger than it is today. Or that you will ever be married some point down the road. Maybe you've lost hope in your future that the next chapter of your life could possibly be any better than the ones that are already over and gone. Or that the person that you love so much will ever come to know God personally the way that you do and ever be in a place like this on a night like tonight with you. Some of you, you're like Zechariah. You stop praying. 
you stop believing that Emmanuel, the God who showed up to be with us, that he's here with you. You've lost hope in that area of your life, haven't you? That thing that you once hoped for, that you once prayed for, you've told yourself, oh, God's not going to do it. I, I let that, that ship has sailed a long time ago. I stopped having hope in that. that. That was just a stupid wish. And when you stop having hope, a little bit of darkness, a little bit of fear, a little bit of uncertainty crept in, didn't it? You know, I received a note yesterday via email from a good friend of mine who happened to hear that I was going to be speaking to you tonight about hope. His words were so encouraging to me. I just wanted to share a few things that he shared with me yesterday. He said, The birth of Jesus and the incarnation of God is a hopeful event because it, rem- it means that God has not abandoned us and in fact wants to be part of our world, our communities, and our individual lives. And then he says, Still, I struggle with hope or losing hope. I've been feeling it a lot lately and it's really connected to this Christmas sermon. In part, I think it's the effect of winter, of longer days and more darkness and colder temps. But a more significant part has to do with memories of people who are gone, either through death or friends who have moved away or others who have written themselves out of my life. Then a little bit later down he says, When I lose hope, it's not a loss of hope in God, but a loss of hope that God will answer in the way I want. God's ways are not very often my ways, I think. God hears my prayers, but my prayers don't always align with what he is doing. And then he says, hope wouldn't be necessary if the world wasn't disfigured by sin. But hope is necessary when we're bowed down by the heaviness of life. Hope leads us away from despair. It doesn't vanquish sadness, but it does keep us from falling into a black hole where we give up and decide that life is pointless and God is absent. Isn't that true? God with us means that though grief is real and life sometimes makes no sense, yet God is good. God is at work in the world. God is present. God loves us. God is righting all the world's wrongs in his way and in his time. And then he closes by saying, I'll pray for you, Dave, as you deliver this message. And pray, praying that, for, that those who hear it will find hope. As you told me, we can't live a second without hope. All of us, all of us in this life will experience difficulties. We'll experience times of disappointment. But there's a gift that God has given people of all ages that has enabled them to not just survive, but to have fulfillment in life, even in times of great difficulty. And that gift, friends, is hope. Biblical hope is rooted in the fact that this life and its troubles or or brief experiences relative to eternity. Hope isn't wishful thinking. Hope isn't optimism. They're different. Optimism is psychological. Hope is spiritual. Optimism is this loose trust in yourself. Hope is a trust in God, knowing that God can do in and through you what you can't do on your own. There's nothing wrong with optimism. (laughs) Sure beats pessimism, right? But we need more than that. We are designed, you and I, to need hope. The last Catholic Pope before this one, I think his name was Benedict. He once said that hope is a virtue between the extremes of two vices, presumption and despair. 
He says, presumption sticks its head in the sand and says, ah, everything will be fine. It's a Pollyannish view of the future. And despair is quite the opposite. Despair says, oh, everything will be terrible. It's a bankrupt view of the future. And he says, both of those things contradict hope. Hope says, I don't know what God has in mind. I don't understand it. I don't know why he's given me these desires that he hasn't fulfilled yet. But I know God and I know he loves me well enough to see me through this and I'll be the better for it. That's what hope says. Our hope in God isn't merely a desire or a wish. It's a confidence rooted in the fact that this life and its troubles are brief experiences in relation to God's bigger and better plan. It's a trust that because a Savior was born in a manger some 2,000 years ago, all that is wrong with this world one day will be made right again. Hurts will be healed. It's a hope that I pray you will come away with tonight and re-gift to those that you love tomorrow and in the days to come. You know, so many times in my life I have felt hopeless. I've been faced with circumstances that are way bigger than me and I've just think, thought so many times, if I'm honest, this is bigger than God. This is one God's not going to do in my life. And then I've seen God work and do these amazing things. And then, then, God always seems to come back around with it months or years later and bring someone across my path who's going through the same situation. And God uses me to re-gift that hope as I share my experience with them. Have you ever had that happen in your life? You know, when John was born and Zechariah was able to speak again, he used it to re-gift hope to all those who would listen. Listen to what it says in verse 67. It says, Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. He's saying these things about Jesus who hasn't even appeared on the scene yet. It's going to show up in chapter 2. And then as he's holding his son in his arms, no doubt, listen to what he says in verse 76. He says, And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. Let me ask you this evening, what's been going on in your life these days that needs hope? Hope that God will fulfill his promises to you. Hope that tomorrow will bring the answer that you've been looking for. Think about it for just a moment. Or, or have you just given up entirely on that hope that you once had? How long did you hold on to hope before you gave it up? When did you give it up and, and why? What happened to you to make you give up on hope that God could do for you what you could not do on your own? Now I think, I think the Lord's saying to some of you here tonight, when you, when you lost hope, you lost hope in me. Others of you, you're full of hope tonight because you can understand. You've been there. 
You found hope in Jesus and it, it sustains you, doesn't it? Who do you know this Christmas who you need to re-gift that hope to? Who needs a little bit of hope in their own lives? Perhaps to show them how you see God at work even in the midst of their difficult circumstances. You know, Psalm 130 verse 5 says that we find hope in God's word. We find hope in the Bible. In your programs tonight, you'll notice that there's a little insert in there that has books of the Bible on the top. And I want to encourage you to, to take a look at that for a moment if you would. What you'll see is that, and if you were here this past Sunday, you heard us talk about it. In January and February, we're going to be doing something together as a community here at Grace. Where we're going to actually read through the entire New Testament together over 40 days. We're going to challenge each other to read it together and then be in book clubs together where we kind of wrestle with what we're learning. Maybe for you, you wouldn't only just be in one of these clubs and read through the New Testament. But maybe you know someone who needs some hope in their life. And you'd be willing to invite them to come along with you. To pick up a copy of one of these New Testaments that we have available each Sunday in January and give it to them and say, would you do this with me over January and February? Let's find some hope together. I'll close with this. Six years ago, there was another dismal news story that was capturing the headlines, challenging us to have hope. August 5th, 2010. A rock fall in the San Jose mine in the Atacama Desert of northern Chile left 33 gold and copper miners sealed 2,300 feet underground. Do you remember this story? For weeks, miners tried to hold on to hope that they would survive while surviving off of two mouthfuls of tuna and a half a glass of milk every 48 hours as drilling attempts to reach them failed over and over again. One of these miners was a 29-year-old man by the name of Ariel Tacoma. And he had a wife, believe it or not, whose name was also Elizabeth, who was preparing to have a baby. And they had agreed before that disastrous day to name this baby girl Carolina. But from the depths of that total darkness where Ariel found himself, as the delivery day approached, he sent a message up to the surface for his wife, asking that this baby re- be renamed Esperanza. Esperanza, do you know what that means in English? Hope. Why hope? Well, hope to bring hope to the camp above that collapsed mine that he was in, where they were all waiting for a miracle. Hope that that baby would be born healthy, even though dad couldn't be there. Hope for him and his friends that somehow they would survive this mess that they're in and that they will be reunited with their families once again. 69 days later, hope was found for these miners. And Ariel literally held hope in his arms. Let's not forget, ladies and gentlemen, where our hope is held. The message of Christmas is a message of hope. It's a message that Christ is bigger than every difficulty. It's, he can overcome every obstacle that you face in this life. And that he's going to use you and I to re-gift that hope to others. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this night that we've been able to be here together. I thank you for giving us the ability to brave this nasty weather of Christmas Eve night of all nights to be together as a community and to remind ourselves why we do Christmas in the first place. 
Lord, would you remind us tomorrow morning as we're unwrapping the presents and we're enjoying the food that the reason for all of this is you. It's hope. Hope that we find in the risen Savior. God, I pray that you would use each one of us to be sensitive to those around us who need hope and to re-gift that hope in those moments when it's appropriate. God, we love you. And we are so grateful that you are here with us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.